Welcome, 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 welcome. Welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I am your host, Misha Globerman. Trampoline Hall, as you know, is a lecture series that takes place in a bar. The bar is in Toronto. Sometimes we go to other cities, but increasingly we don't. Uh, People at Trampoline Hall give lectures on all kinds of topics, with the one restriction being that they cannot speak on subjects on which they are professionally expert. And then after each lecture, we take questions from the audience. I'm the guy. I'm the guy who does all of that. Uh, This is the Trampoline Hall podcast. Um, it's, it's, It's live in your Uh, ear things coming to you through uh, magic. No one knows how it works. For the podcast, what we do for every episode, uh, Kate Bars goes through the deep archives of the Trampoline Hall recordings and finds a special lecture uh, just for you. Well, just for you and everybody else who listens to the podcast. Uh, You come, you get to hear it. It's great. That's what's going to happen. And by the way, if you like this and you think, man, I would like this even better if it was a live thing, you should uh, be in Toronto. Come to Toronto and you can see the live Trampoline Hall show. Uh, Get on our email list, sign up. It is amazing. But now, now is the time for this episode's lecture. You may be asking, does it contain mature language? It might contain mature language. It might contain mature language. It might. Um, The topic is vintage novelty gags, and the lecturer is Derek McCormick. Hey there. Um, My lecture is called, uh, I think on your program it's just called uh, Vintage novelty gags or something like that. It's actually called uh, I Cover the Waterfront Gags for Gays. (laughs) And um, I am a gay, which means I love getting fucked up the asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not embarrassed. I'm a little hard, to be honest. Okay, and I need someone to uh, play gay gags on, so um, um, I'm going to choose someone seemingly random, but someone that I've actually chosen, and someone that I sort of know, and that I thought was cute for a long time. So, um, oh, Micah Tobe, do you want to come up? Yeah, come on, man. It'll be so fun. Hi. Hey there. There's still room back there to get away from me. Um, Okay, I'm going to show you how these gags work. I mean, I'm going to show you some stuff. Wait. Hey, shake hands. (laughs) Okay, that's a joy buzzer. You all know what a joy buzzer is. Uh, This is vintage 1930s. I have a really great one. An early German one from the 20s. Look at the size of that thing. And it sparks. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Oh, sorry to shock you. Have a drink of water. (laughs) Oh, you might have to drink again and again and again until it... Did anything happen? Okay, Okay, that really sucks. Uh, Oh, that's a dribble glass. You can tell because it dribbled all over him. Wait. I'm going to clean him up. That's a nice shirt. Oh! 
was itching powder. <laughs> How do you feel? Normal. Um, it's from 1910, so I doubt it works anymore. That's the container it came in. Okay, now you have to stand there. Is that okay? You don't? Okay, just wait. You'll know when you do. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah. Okay. Right. Here's the lecture part. Uh, in a 1970 TV interview, David Frost asked Tennessee Williams if he uh, was a homosexual. And Tennessee Williams didn't know what to say, so he said, I cover the waterfront. Um, I Cover the Waterfront is also the name of one of my favorite books. Um, it was published in 1939 by Fishlove of Chicago. I Cover the Waterfront, and the author is G. A. Fooler. And it's actually a discarded library book with a new uh, sticker placed on the front. And when you open it up, the pages have been hollowed out. And in the depression of the pages, there's a little fake diaper. And it says, Souvenir of San Francisco, California. It also says I paid $18 for it, if you can believe it, but I did. Um, uh, it's, that's a classic gag book to have a, a book cart with a middle carved out and something in it. That one is one of the great uh, gag books of the Great Depression. Uh, tonight I'm talking about gags and about being gay. And my thesis, because Carl told me I should have a thesis, is that being gay is a gag. <laughs> And I thought about this for over seven minutes. <laughs> <coughs> the joy buzzer, um, I have a squirting ring, the squirting flower, the dribble glass, the snake in a jar of jam. Uh, these are the founding gags of the gag industry, which started about 100 years ago and which is still going. You can still buy all those things. Um, I bought novelty gags when I was a little boy. And as a grown-up, I collect them. Well, I don't anymore because I'm too poor, but for a while, uh, well, I was still poor then, but I, I just was worse with money. Um, <laughs> they're from the golden age of gags from about 1910 to 1940. Um, and I, I, I tried to think of why. I was going to talk about them, how they work, but Carl said, why do you love them? So I thought, I love them because of all that they are not. They are meant to be funny. They're not that funny. <laughs> they're meant to be surprising. They're not that surprising. <laughs> they're sort of amusing, sort of mean, sort of sad. They're Paul Lind. Gags are, gags are German. In 1807, a German toy maker offered the following items. Thundermaker, rain machine, smoke powder. How's your back? I don't know, maybe. No, it's just <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, chemical blood, a trick spider, a mechanical bug. During the following decades, these gags found their way. They were imported into the United States, but by the turn of the 20th century, American manufacturers were making their own. Um, S.S. Adams of Neptune, New Jersey was the first and foremost prank maker, and most of these are by S.S. Adams. Uh, later, other companies, and they started up soon after the gags became a, a mania. Uh, there was R. Apple, Franco-American, Joke King, and my favorite, Fish Love, which I think is the greatest name in the world, and I don't know why there's not a lesbian bar named Fish Love. Um, um, Okay, wait, more history. Pranks were nothing new in the new world. Kids loosened doorknobs. Kids nailed handkerchiefs to porches. In The Art of Amusing, a book published in 1880, the author taught kids to blacken the bottom of a plate with candle smoke. The person who picked up the plate would get covered in grime. 
A piece of black ribbon wrapped around a tooth made the tooth look like it was missing. My favorite, hollow out a book, then glue a mirror inside. Draw a dust jacket with the title, Portrait of a Gorilla. <laughs> American manufacturers made similar gags on a grand scale. Uh, this is a telescope by S.S. Adams. When you hold it up and try and look into it, uh, coal powder rings your eye. I'm sure you've all seen that. Uh, what else have I got? Oh, comedy teeth. Celluloid teeth, they produce a most grotesque appearance. These are sort of the earliest of the Billy Bob teeth you can buy at, at Halloween. Um, oh, and a box. There's, this is by Fish Love. There's one born every minute, and you open it up, and there's a donkey with a cloth on its butt. And when you open the cloth, it's a little mirror. I'll read the poem. <laughs> On jokes, some folks bite easy, some don't bite at all, but in this box you see the biggest jackass of all. <laughs> um, in 1904, a Dane named Samuel Soren Adams was working for a dye company in New Jersey. A coal tar derivative was making everyone in the factory sneeze when they processed it. Uh, so he isolated the irritating ingredient. He bought a bunch of little uh, glass tubes. He funneled them into them, sold them for a dime a tube, and called it kachu. And it caused an enormous craze. He sold millions of bottles of them. Uh, he also invented itching powder, then the dribble glass, pepper gum, the snake in a jar, the joy buzzer. I mean, in the Depression, the joy buzzer sold hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stock and kept him alive. Uh, why did people love these? OK, here are my guesses. <laughs> the gags were easy to produce, made in small-scale factories in the Northeast. The gags were cheap to produce. I mean, like these books, um, they would buy discarded uh, elements from other uh, factories and reuse them. So you'd often get an SS Adams gag in an old card box that they just stamp a new label on or a cosmetics box. But it was really shameless. Um, uh, ads bragged that gags were spectacular, hilarious, ingenious. They weren't. They were just the worst kind of crap and they fell apart, which is why they're so expensive now. It's because, you know, you just uh, toss them once you realize how lame they were. Um, the gags were sold to the mail order business. Postage ha had recently made postcards and, and greeting cards, cheap and expensive, as same as mail order catalogs. The gags were sold through newspaper ads and mail order catalogs, such as Johnson Smith. The ads really found a home in pulpy magazines, and in comic books, and, and beside comic strips. The Yellow Kid pulled pranks. The Cats and Jammer Kids, of course. Um, the gags were as American as vaudeville skits, as slapstick silent movies. They turned kids into Keystone Cops, Minimax Senates. Uh, for example, Canadians invented the whippy cushion. There was a rubber factory on DuPont Street West called Gem Rubber in the 20s. And um, uh, they made rubber, rubber balloons. Balloons were very heavy then. They were made of, of, of uh, a much thicker rubber. Well, they're made of latex now. Um, uh, they were very heavy and noisy. A toy catalog from that time in Toronto sold something called a dying pig. And the, um, <laughs> the caption went, blow him up and release the air. When he starts to get smaller and smaller and letting out the most horrible screams and yells that you would think they were killing all the pigs in the neighborhood. <laughs> um, so Jem started making them. They weren't expensive, but they couldn't sell them. No one here really took to them. Uh, it was Toronto as, as polite as the, as the stereotype is. 
But they start, when they started selling them in the States, they became a fad. Uh, they were sold as the boop boop a dupe after Betty Boop's famous catchphrase, and then uh, companies all over the world started knocking them off. They still are. Uh, in those days, they were uh, called raspberry cushions, but also OO pillow. The musical cushion, the Bronx cheer, nature's, ri nature's rival, and my favorite, the flarp. <laughs> like America itself, gags could be brash and a little brutal. Cachou sneezing powder was a chemical called dianacidine. In 1914 at Neuve Chapelle, Germans actually fired shells full of it at British troops. Uh, the chemical made breathing laborious, although there was a strong wind that day. Uh, sale of Cachou was stopped in 1940, banned by the US government. Uh, the itching powder I poured down uh, Micah's top uh, consisted of a weed from India, and it induces dermatitis in humans and sometimes severe rashes, and it's banned now too, so. <laughs> See, this is what you get when I had a crush on you for a long time. You pay for it. Um, my friend Vincent Fecto and I have been working on an art project together. It's called Gag on Gay Gags is the project. The slogan, Gay Gags to Gag Gays. Uh, uh, we wanted to do a squirting flower. I have like a squirting ring here and we just wanted to do it so there were two bladders on it so it looks like testicles and then do like lapel pins and uh, uh, it's like one joke we wanted to do a million times. Uh, Vincent wants everything to squirt. Squirting toy turds, squirting toy vomit. And then we went through a gag catalog together and we just uh, wrote the word gay in front of everything. So a dribble glass is a gay dribble glass. An exploding cigar is a gay exploding cigar, which isn't really a stretch. Um, anyway, we need not have bothered. Gags are already gay. They are made for boys, sold to boys, and used by boys. Boys pull gags in league with other boys. Boys pull gags on other boys. <laughs> You're a good sport. Gags are a way for geeks to be bullies, for geeks to outsmart bullies, for comic book loving boys to seem well. According to old ads, gags make you seem sophisticated, smart, and social. <laughs> Gay guys like me wanted gags to make us one of the gang. Gags were a way to tease the boys we liked, perhaps to charm them, uh, no. In my day, the best gag was to tell a guy you were gay. No gag will make a cute guy fall for you. As I've demonstrated, the best a gag can do is to make a cute guy dribble. Thank you. <laughs> Derek McCormick, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next, we'll Q&A. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> Are there are there are there any questions? Oh uh, yes, 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 you ma'am, yes. I do have a question. It's slightly off topic but not completely. Right. I'm curious about how you feel about the word gay as if it's used pejoratively by school children who simply mean something is lame or not up to snuff. So the question is how do you feel about children using children apparently have recently started using the word gay in a pejorative fashion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. Wait, and what? Like they don't They don't even mean homosexual. They mean not up to snuff or late. So even kids who are who are actually very, very pro, very, very, very queer positive, will still be like, "That's gay." Is that what you think? How do you feel about that? Is the question. I really have no opinion on anything school kids do. Like I just don't care as long as they stay away from me. And. Uh, um, 
in general, I consider myself an old-fashioned fag. So the word that really gets to me is queer. I don't know what that means anymore. Uh, I think it means straight boys who made it with a boy at a party once, as far as I can tell. I'm gay. Our right. cocksucker's good, too. <laughs> <laughs> Which school kids use to mean co- cocksuckers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, anything else? Anything else people would like to know about novelties or the kids today or anything? <laughs> yes, you, ma'am. There were no practical jokes before 100 years ago? Well, there were... These specific ones? What? Slow down, slow down. What are you saying? So these little gags, your question is, did these only exist in the past 100 years? You know, I think there were uh, versions of some of them in Germany. They're really scarce. The, the German tricks were toys for kids. Um, and they were uh, little automatic things often. Some of them were dirty, like there's a zillion jokes from way back of like, you know, you open anything and like a boner pops up. (laughs) And uh, like my grandparents had a hillbilly outhouse where you open it up and the hillbilly boner popped up. Um, There's also, and I don't know entirely about this, there's a Stephen Milhauser story about a German toy from that period um, that involved very stiff paper and you would catch a live bird and put it in it and watch as the bird tried to escape and it would make the toy dance. Um, uh, <laughs> the name of that toy was called The Suffering Bird. <laughs> oh, The Suffering Bird. Well, they're, they're Germans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, oh, sorry. Uh, so no, I don't know that much. I mean, I, I know there are catalogs, German catalogs, date from like the 1880s and 1890s with novelty stuff in them. I've never seen one, unfortunately. So, so yes, so that's around when they were invented, give or take, around like The Americans years. came up with all this mechanic, like this stuff, that the classic stuff, and it came up very quickly and by like three men did it all. Wow. Okay, uh, yeah, Sue, sir, yeah. Any more romantic tips for dealing with crushes? I've shown you the best first date. Pour itching powder. I didn't really pour itching powder. I poured talcum powder. Oh, really? Are you fucking kidding? (laughs) He couldn't die. (laughs) And I would have had to give him mouth to mouth right here on stage. You had, you had, like, stage itching powder? Yeah, well, I, I sort of thought, well, I, I, like, I sort of want him to take his shirt off, and then I was like, no, this is just going to end terribly. Like, everything, every, every flirtation I do just end with an ambulance. <laughs> All right, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so so does, he have, does he have tapes for dealing with crushes? No, no, he doesn't. Um, uh, yes, yes, you, ma'am, yes. Yeah. Do you recall the sea monkeys? So I know they're not gags, per se, The question is, even though they're not gags, they are, they are gag-related, and so you just want to know more about them. More about the sea monkeys, please. Well, I like that. I mean, I like that stuff. That I remember that from, like, the back of comic books when I was a kid. And I didn't read cool comic books. I read Richie Rich. <laughs> yeah. And um, I know they're little brine shrimp, and they don't wear crowns, and they're not a family... <laughs> But, you know... <laughs> They're so not a family. Um, 
they're still like huge. You can still buy like castle sets and play sets and vehicles and. Because there's, you know why? Because there's always money to be made by disappointing children. <laughs> well, you know, like all these, I mean, that's, the, I guess that's the, like, the rule of all these gags is that when you read the ads, even as a kid, you think this is the greatest thing that's yeah. going to change my life. And it's always this big. <laughs> and it breaks after one try. And you, tr- I mean, it's like a whoopee cushion. Is this, you put it under a cushion, the cushion sits like this on the chair, and then you have to beg someone to sit on it. <laughs> It's like, yeah. That's like my life. That's why I did this lecture. <laughs> I just keep thinking they have like there was there would, would be like giant robot that talks and thinks twelve feet tall, seventy nine cents. Yes. Like oh, yes, I'm getting that. And, you're like, and they used to be kind of dangerous. I mean, I remember the first floating skeleton one was actually radium paint. So you get that and you put it in your bedroom and. 20 years later. I can't, it's, I know, it's so, it's so hilarious that time. The thing that struck me was when you're like, so like you imagine nowadays they're like, they discover there's like a chemical in the factory that's like an irritant and all the workers are sneezing. And like n- nowadays no one would be like, hey, let's sell it as a sneezing chemical. <laughs> like, that's, that's the, it's such a weird and different response. It seems like a funnier time. Yeah, everyone, yes. Yeah, and everyone was trying to invent something, right? Everyone was trying to make a million. It was, uh, right, right. Um, okay, yeah, you, yeah, you win. Uh, sorry, it's sort of in keeping with the, the, the monkey. See monkey? Yeah. But do you remember the cartoon in the back of the, the back of a cartoon of the skinny guy and the muscle, the muscle yeah. guy? We get to stand kicking his face. Yeah. And I can't remember that's what Is it Charles Adams? Do you know that's still on the back of the No. But you know what? I thought about that when I was doing this talk because I thought, you know, you're a geeky little kid. You have one of two ways you can get that kit, whatever it is. It was probably like something you tied to a doorbell. Yeah, it's dynamic tension. Or you can buy a stink bomb and throw it at the guys that are beating you up, right? Like it's way faster. So basically, they understood that their 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 target market was weedy kids. Yes. And they were like, they only have one problem, one, one which is that they're unpopular and bullied. Yes. And there's just different tools through which they For can revenge. remedy that, yeah. which are either stink bombs, muscles, or sea monkeys. That's more mysterious. <laughs> it's not that they're out of sea monkeys. That's not a very good revenge, sea monkeys. I guess you're like, well, at least you have friends <laughs> yeah. in the sea. For, for four days. Yeah. <laughs> Those are awful. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, yes, yes, you have. Yes, yes, you. Um, do you feel any connection uh, between gayness and collecting things? Gayness and collecting things, do those go together? You know, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to answer that, but I don't know many gay men who don't have, like, apartments full of sailor dolls and <laughs> carnival prizes and, uh, you, know, but, you know, tortoise shell buttons and jars or something like that, so... <laughs> I don't know what that is. I mean, I could take a stab, but it would just be even stupider than the stuff I've said already. So the answer could be yes, but we don't know why? Is that yeah, right? is exactly. That All right. Exactly. I don't know why. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Yes, yes, Caesar. Is there any documented case of someone, like, dying from an exploding cigar? Has anyone died from an exploding cigar? Uh, well, the exploding cigar is quite funny because it was introduced as a novelty thing, and then just before World War One in Europe... Um, Anarchists actually adopted it as a tactic to put real dynamite into it. 
and people were killed in the lead up to World War I. Um, yeah, all these things are documented cases of people going into really deep shock. Uh, all, like the itching powder, the, the, I forget what the stink bombs were made of, ammonium something. They were also used by the American government in the Korean War as uh, to clear up trenches and jungles and things, so. Was there a military application of the joy buzzers? <laughs> I think it's the one thing that didn't feed the military-industrial <laughs> complex. It's so hard. I think so fake hard to dog get shit did, fake bar. <laughs> if only we could get an entire Vietnamese village to shake hands with us. <laughs> Poisoning them one at a time. I mean, they, they, they see through it. They see the little ring. Uh, is there anything, anything else Anything else people would like to know? But uh, yes, you, sir. Uh, do you know of any major gag figures who actually were gay? I mean, aside from are there a major gag figures who are gay, who who were gay other than the Joker? Is that your question? Yeah, thanks for saying that because he was so gay. Um, no. Is that really? There are no no famous no famous gay pranksters or not even a oh Rip uh, Rip Torn Rip Torn no Rip Taylor Rip Taylor the confetti. Oh wait, wait. Was that, well, how was he a prank? He was. How was he a prankster? Confetti. Because he threw confetti. <laughs> <laughs> These straight people are so ignorant. I <laughs> what? How is that? Well, okay. How was How is? How is that? Do you want me that? to leave right now? What is it? No. What, no. I want you to explain to me how the confetti. He would. He would like throw confetti. They'd be like, he'd be like on Match Game or whatever, and they'd say his name and he'd throw confetti. Anyway, it was hilarious. And it was, it was <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> okay. Look, I don't know, I had four days to prepare for this. <laughs> You've had a lifetime to prepare for this. Um, are, there any, are there any other questions? Anything else you would like to know? Yeah, Caesar. Uh, getting back to the World War I uh, exploding cigar, did the victim think it was a gag cigar? <laughs> oh, that's an excellent question. So the question is, did they give the person the cigar, to, and the question is, did they think it was like a funny exploding cigar to start with, or did they just think it was a regular cigar? Is that your question? Yeah. All right. That's a really good question. I... There were no survivors. It seems like it would be, it seems like it would be too subtle, because if with, in your theory, if there was something you'd want to kill, instead of giving them a cigar, you'd have to give a cigar to like a friend of theirs who wanted to play a prank on them. And that seems too complicated for wartime. Although awesome. I don't know. I'm just, I'm still thinking about Micah, to be honest. Thinking about what? Sorry? I'm still thinking about Micah, to be honest. So uh, I don't know. All right, okay. Uh, anything, anything, any, other, any other questions before, before our lecturer's attention drips entirely? <laughs> Anything? They're not going to. They're not going to. They're done. They're finished. Thank you. They're done with you, right? <laughs> Derek McCormick, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. Trampling Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was chosen by Carl Wilson. The podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Matt Smith. Our coordinating producer and lecture selector extraordinaire is Kate Bars. If you enjoyed the podcast, uh, you can help us out by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps a lot. You can also come check out the show in Toronto. I am Misha Globerman. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.